Father, we ask that you would um, encourage us through your word this morning that we might grow a little bit more like you uh, in our lives and in our attitudes uh, in, in this uh, today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's lovely to see you. If you're new or visiting, my name's Mark. I'm a senior pastor here. And um, uh, it's great to have you with us. Um, <clears throat> how many people uh, heard the thought for the day on Radio 4 on Friday morning? Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. What, uh, I know, Kathy, my PA did, because I played it in the office to you. That's cheating. You, well, uh, David heard it. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's two minutes... 37 seconds or something, um, and um, uh, if you go on the BBC website, just type in Thought for the Day, uh, it'll come up, hit play, and you can play it. Uh, the thing that he talks about is, and it, this won't spoil it for you, there are two things, particular things that come out, he talks about Passover, and the importance of Passover and celebrating it as a community together. He talks about the family uh, coming together. We're doing that this afternoon, 5 o'clock this afternoon. I hope as many of you as possible. It is for everybody in the family. It is for the oldest, oldest in the church to the youngest in the church. It includes children. Uh, we're, I'm quite excited about it this, this year. We've got um, a couple of people, I think three people narrating and acting it. Uh, we've got some clips from the Prince of Egypt to show it uh, so that the children can participate in it. And we've got some liturgy that takes us through some of the story of it. It's going to be a really terrific evening. So come, bring some food, come sit round tables with others and uh, participate with us. Five o'clock this afternoon. It'll be a terrific uh, thing to join in with. The other thing that he talks about was that report that came out this week that um, uh, was highlighted about families and um, talked about um, uh, the response, some of the reports that have come out from the government, the response to the riots and um, the importance of doing stuff for families. And I, it, it, I know that um, you may be unaware, but we're heavily involved as a church in the National Parenting Initiative. The National Parenting Initiative is an initiative that's been launched by the churches across the UK. Uh, they've chosen three resources to put out across the UK to encourage parenting courses. Um, the HDB parenting course, um, the uh, Care for the Family, Positive Parenting and their stuff. And they've chosen Family Time, which is the stuff that Lindsay and I wrote uh, here. And it's um, uh, going out across the country being Run. It's really exciting, actually. We've got a family time phone line in the office, and it seems to go every day at the moment, which is really exciting to hear as new courses are starting and new opportunities are happening in churches as people are reaching out. And I, as I listened to it, I thought, well, it is terrific to be part of a church that is trying to be part of the answer to last summer's riots. And that, that actually, uh, you know, as Jonathan Sachs pointed out, this, this is what we need. We need... We need people to rise up and say, family life is really important. Let's focus on it. So I do encourage you, I do encourage you to listen to that. And um, just type it in, BBC website, Radio 4, Thought for the Day, up it'll come Friday, it's about 2 minutes 37 seconds, just to 
enjoy that. And as I did my Bible reading this morning, my the Bible in a year. Some of you have joined us in the Bible in a year. Had quite a heavy week, haven't we, this week in the Bible in a year. Uh, I was reading it this morning, and um, I thought, oh, we're at April. And I said to Linz, I said, well, we're 25% of the way through. We've got, we've got through a quarter of the readings this year. And I, as I was doing that, I spoke to my, I was with my brother this week, and he said, we, they're doing the a Bible in a year at their church. They started earlier than us. I'm not quite sure when they started. September, I think. And he said, oh, he said, we're having an amnesty Sunday. I said, what's that? He said, we're saying to everybody who hasn't joined in, who wants to join in, join in and you can forget the first bit. Just join with us in the journey. Oh, that sounds quite good. So I thought, we'll have an amnesty Sunday. So if you don't yet, haven't yet joined us in the Bible in the year... Why don't you join us today? You start on a fresh page, April the 1st, top of the page, and uh, there, are li- there are the little uh, booklets that uh, advertise it uh, available in the bookstore, and you can take one of those home with you today and join with us as we journey with it. And, and yesterday's readings were all about the Passover. They were all about, rem- was it yesterday or Friday? I can't remember now, but they were all about, it was yesterday, all about remembering the the Passover together. This is one of the feasts we should do. We should celebrate together. So I thought, well, that's great that we're doing that uh, together uh, this afternoon. Well, what a terrific reading from 2 Corinthians. And I, I just want to focus on one verse, actually, in this reading. But I'm going to take a couple of minutes to get there as I set the scene for this uh, reading in 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians is pretty widely recognized as uh, one of Paul's most difficult letters to uh, comprehend. Uh, Paul always intended to return to to Corinth. Uh, That's what he had in mind when he wrote 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is intending to return to Corinth, uh, we see the story, or we hear the writings of Paul the pastor. Paul that's caring for the people. Paul that's wanting to encourage the followers of Christ in the ways of Christ. He's saying to them, this is, I'm so thrilled with what's going on in Corinth. This is the way that we live. We're to live. Well done for doing what you're doing. Here's how we keep going as a community together. 2 Corinthians is completely the opposite. It's not Paul the pastor at all. It's Paul the apologist. Because he's been to Corinth, and uh, uh, now he's writing and uh, fighting for his own ministry. Um, It says in uh, chapter 2, when he refers back to his visit to them, it says this. So I decided I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. For if I cause you grief, who will make me glad? Certainly not someone I have grieved. That is why I wrote to you as I did, so that when I do come, I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from your being joyful. I wrote that letter in great anguish, with troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much love I have for you. Basically what had happened was um, some false teachers had come in and turned the church against Paul. And uh, uh, Paul uh, has to 
write to them to uh, win the church back, not to him, but to Christ. The church has gone awry. This church that was following Christ, that was doing great things for God, suddenly has lost its way. And Paul has gone to visit them, and there's been real pain in that visit. And so he writes to them now, trying to justify who he is. And uh, he writes to them saying, it's not about doing what you're doing, but about Christ. Which is why in our reading today, in verse 5, it says this. You see, he says, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. He's saying, come back. He says to the church, come back to the heart of the gospel. Come back to what it really means to be a follower of Christ. Come back from this wayward journey that you've gone for yourselves. Come back to the heart of uh, the kingdom message. Paul was was determined to try and keep the church on track, uh, focused on the ministry of Jesus Christ. So he writes reminding them, he's saying, look, we've got this calling on our lives. We have this ministry to live out. And this letter really encourages the church to get their hearts right and set their eyes back on Christ again. And he tells them, so don't give up. That's his big plea, isn't it? Don't give up. He says, therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We press on. We, we push forward in all that's going on. It's a glorious gospel he says this is an amazing message of good news so don't give up despite our own lives he says despite uh, the failings despite the fragility and despite the difficulties that anyone throws at you he says don't give up on Jesus Christ don't give up on this hope that you have in your hearts let me just run through as I want to get to uh, verse 7 and actually that's the verse I want to speak on. He says this, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. That's what he's discovered in the church. He says, we reject all of that. We reject all this manipulation that's taken you off the message of Christ. We reject the stuff that's, that's taken your eyes off uh, the one who is the answer to our needs. That, that we, that, that's, that's actually... Um, taken your heart away from the message of the gospel. He says, we don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's hidden from, the, from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and our, whom we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let there be light in the darkness. For, the, for God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves. 
Paulus says this, basically. Look, we've put all our eggs in one basket. We found this to be true, and we're going to live by it. I'm going to live my life by it, he says. And he wants them to know it. He goes on to say that some people don't get it, don't see it. It's as if the good news is hidden behind a veil. They fail to see the glory of the light of Christ. But he says, look, we don't go around preaching ourselves who we are. We go around preaching Jesus Christ. We haven't got it all right. Therefore, we've got no message other than Jesus Christ because he's the one whose light shines in darkness. We don't go around lording it over others. We don't go around manipulating others. We don't go around persuading others for our own ends. We just go around sharing Jesus Christ. He is the one. He's the one who said he's made light shine into our hearts so we may know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ. And then it's that verse I want to focus on, verse 7. But let me just read a little bit through to verse 16. We now have this light, he says, this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. You know, I, I, this week I had the opportunity to go and visit somebody who, at the age of 49, had a massive stroke. And uh, went to see him and, and his wife. And we sat together and... Um, we, we hugged and we, someone who I've done a lot of work with, and we uh, prayed together. And his wife said to me, she said, Mark, what do we do with suffering and trouble? And I said, you know, Sue, that's quite a big question to ask when we're having a cup of tea. I said, this is what I do know, is that we, if you ask the question why, you'll never get an answer. And you'll live with absolute discomfort the rest of your life. But if you lean on the one who knows suffering, he'll help you and walk with you the rest of your life. I'd never met Sue before then. I only knew her husband, who I'd worked with, Paul. And uh, I spent two hours with them. And at the end of the two hours, we hugged together. And I hugged Sue as well. And and uh, I said, would it be all right if I come back sometime? She said, oh, it would be marvellous. It would be marvellous if you come back because we're so encouraged by your visit. And you know, the thing is, the thing is that, that here's Paul in this letter saying, we're crushed, we're broken, we're, we're perplexed, but we're holding on because we know that's where the hope is. And we'll never understand if we ask the question, Why? But we will know strength and hope if we hold on Christ, hold on tight to Christ our Saviour. Through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus 
will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we've the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit as we God's, uh, uh, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That's why we never give up. He said, he's saying to this church that has gone off course, he's saying, look, don't, don't go off course. Don't be manipulated by others. Don't follow another message. Because when difficulties come, you won't have the hope. You won't know what there is, but if you hold on to Christ, if you hold on tightly to Jesus, if you don't promote yourselves but just promote him, if you focus in on God, you will know a hope and a strength and a comfort that you can find nowhere else uh, in life. We can sometimes feel like giving up, can't we? Because we know our weaknesses, we know our flaws, we know our mistakes, but it seems to me... As I look in scripture, God has a special heart for people who are aware of their own weaknesses and failings. Uh, the only perfect people in life, I think, are probably those in heaven. The rest of us have weaknesses. We have failings. Uh, I have weaknesses and failings, just like you do. And, and we, we live through those holding on to Christ. All of us on earth have issues to work through, and God wants to work with us. I just did a little research on this uh, on Friday, and uh, look who God worked with in the past. Noah, he got drunk. Abraham lied about his wife. That wasn't very helpful, was it? Sarah laughed at God. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses was, a, was murdered an Egyptian. Rahab was a harlot. Gideon was fearful. Samson had serious problems with lust and anger. Eli failed as a father. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon turned his heart away from God towards idolatry. Eli struggled with depression. Jonah ran away from God. Peter denied Christ. I could, I could list these for about 20 minutes. I tell you, if you go on through them, James and John wanted special seats in the kingdom of God. The apostles argued over who was the greatest. It seems that God works with the broken and the vulnerable. He says, if you're aware of your weaknesses, I can pick you up and work with you. If you're aware of your failings, if you'll hold on to me, I can uh, encourage you. It seems to me that God prefers people who know their weaknesses, see their flaws, admit their mistakes, and cry out to him for help. Why does God only work with those who struggle? I think that's all he's got. <laughs> that's who we are, every single one of us. We each struggle in different ways. But I think that if he chose people who felt they had no character flaws, then they would feel that whatever they achieved in life was done by them, not by God. But I know that whatever I achieve in life, God gets the glory. Because me without God ain't much good. 
But I know that with God, we can achieve things. With God, we can make a difference. I so believe that. I believe that with God, somehow, he'll take even someone like me, and we can do something. And he can take someone like you as well, and make something happen. And that's why I want to look at this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I think it is an incredible verse in understanding who we are and how God works through us. He says, um, we now have this light shining in us in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. This verse says three things to me. First, it says that this gospel, this message is a great treasure. It's something so worth holding on to. It's not just a treasure, but a treasure that we possess. It's something that's given us by God. It's something that shines in our hearts. He says, I put this in your heart. It's in your heart. It's in my heart. He says, in your heart is the light of Christ. It's in your heart. He's placed the treasure there. Why is it a treasure? Let me just give you a few bits of supporting evidence. This gospel is a treasure because it offers forgiveness. Most people in life go around not knowing forgiveness, carrying guilt, being burdened down by all sorts of things. It's a treasure because it offers forgiveness. The gospel message of Jesus Christ, through him our debts have been removed, our sins have been forgiven. It's a treasure because we are forgiven. It's a treasure because it justifies us. Through Jesus' sacrifice, we're justified. God has changed my state. It's as though I haven't sinned. It's as though I've done nothing wrong. He's, he's taken all the stuff that's there. He's taken all the wrong out of my life. And, and he's dealt with that. And he said, okay, now, can I just use you? Can I use you to shine as a light to others? Can I use you to, to shine for me? No, not for yourselves. That's what Paul says. He says, we don't preach ourselves. It's not about us. He says, let me just let you shine for me, that others might know me. He takes me a broken vessel, and he puts into my heart uh, the, the, the clay jar that I am, the bright light of the gospel. And that light shines within me and then out through me. And it shines out through my weaknesses, through my flaws, through my cracks, through my fault lines. He's changed my state. To be justified means as though it's just as if I'd never sinned. Not only am I forgiven and justified, but I'm transformed. Many of you may wish I were more transformed than I are, than I am, but, but actually he's transformed me. My heart is different because of Jesus my Saviour. Your heart is different because of Jesus your Saviour. He's transformed you. There's something different inside. You, 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 in a sense, can't help it now. I bet each one of us at different times think better thoughts and have better motivations and better attitudes because something has changed inside. There's something deeper and richer, uh, more majestic within us because Jesus comes into our hearts with his light and it shines and, and the light casts out darkness. It casts out self and it replaces it uh, with Christ. My life is different because of my saviour, Jesus. It might not always show externally, 
but I am transformed internally. And believe me, friends, internally, there's nothing but a generous, loving heart that wants to glorify God. That is true of all of us, ultimately. So I'm, I'm forgiven and justified. I'm transformed I'm also reconciled. I'm, I'm joined back to God. That's why this gospel is such a treasure. He's joined me back to God. I've become his friend. More than that, I'm adopted into his family. He considers me one of his. I'm included. I'm also redeemed. We're going to think about this this afternoon in the Passover service. We're redeemed. In other words, he's changed my ownership. I am bought back. He's taken me out of slavery to sin to freedom in him. This afternoon we'll think about God's people being bought out of slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. God has changed my ownership. I'm sanctified. I've got a different motivation in life. God has changed my behavior. Not only has he transformed my heart, But he's changed my behavior. What is on the inside, the light that shines on the inside, the thing that that he says to Timothy, fan into flame, that that's on the inside, ultimately will show out through the cracks and glow on the outside. Friends, if we've got all of this, then we are rich in so many ways. We have a treasure within that is worth more than gold. We have a treasure within that shines brighter than diamonds. We have a treasure that within that's given to us through grace. You see, we would never have considered this truth on our own, but it comes to us by God's grace. As the great hymn Amazing Grace says, once I was blind, but now I see. We have a treasure within, a bright light that God places in our hearts. Secondly, God hides this treasure, he says, in jars of clay so first we have an amazing treasure that we possess that God places in our hearts by grace but he says he places in us and we're just jars of clay I don't know if you've ever watched the antiques road show I I don't even know if it's still on but I used to love watching it and uh, someone would bring out a dusty old vase I'm sure they presented 5,000 of them before they found the one that was of any value but someone will then say well I paid tuppence eight for this and they'll go, well, it's worth £50,000, you know, and you've had it stuck up in the loft all that time. You never know what you'll find in a clay pot or a clay jar. Sometimes the greatest treasures come in ordinary pots. Paul would have been referring here to jars of clay. They're vessels that people would have used to store things, to store their grain, to store their valuables, to keep oil in for lighting their lamps. And Paul says, look, we're not like Ming vases. We are just ordinary earthen vessels uh, in our lives. We're cheap brown pots, he says. And Paul says there are two things about cheap brown pots. They're fragile and they're easily broken. Isn't that true of all of us? We're fragile and we're easily broken. Even the person that seems to have the toughest skin in life is actually fragile when you get to know them and easily broken. And words can hurt us and attitudes can hurt us and actions can hurt us. And we carry around wounds in our lives. 
as people have done things to us. We're all fairly fragile, really. We all have our limits, whether we like to admit it or not. Um, I belong to a group of um, uh, uh, clergy, we, we, uh, accountability group, which just where we, we pray and support one another. We go away twice a year, just overnight, hear one, how, how one another is, and we're very honest with each other. And uh, We call ourselves the hippos. Uh, hippos because you have to have thick skin we think you know to be a church leader because not everybody loves you and um, uh, it stands for happy and perish but Pentecostal otherwise you know just well what we really want is to worship God that's what we're about we just love the Lord we love the Lord together Uh, and we realize that sometimes you you know we want to be happy where we are serving where we are encouraging people on their journey in Christ but sometimes you've got to have thick skin because people can sometimes hurt you. And uh, I think that's true of all of us, isn't it? isn't it? That we're often fragile and broken people, but into us, God chooses to hide his gospel. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, he says this, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of us are wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy, when God calls you. Instead, God chose things of the world. God chose things that the world considers foolish, in order to shame those that are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. He says, I I choose you, you earthen brown pots, he says to us. Fragile, easily broken, full of fault lines and cracks. And into you I place my shining light, and out of your cracks that light shines. Through your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities and your brokenness, I'm able to shine through with my gospel that others might know the glory and the goodness of Christ. He chose us, he chose you. He absolutely delights to place his gospel treasure in your heart. God intends to bless the world by placing this gospel in your life and my life. Why does he do that? That's my third and final reason. He does it so that we know where the true source of spiritual power comes from. Lots of people today look for spirituality. It's actually a uh, a, a, a known fact that the world is becoming more and more spiritual. People are looking for spiritual connection. Well, God's power is really different from that. It's not just about spiritual connection. God's power unites people. True, truly God's power, not manipulated or distorted by any person, unites people. God's power tears down walls. God's power restores marriages. God's power builds families. God's power lifts up the downtrodden. God's power heals the brokenhearted. God's power forgives the darkest sin. God's power gives ultimate hope. And God seems to say that he wants to use you and me, who are just earthen vessels, fragile and easily broken, weak and with all our flaws, so that within you his light can shine. This treasure can be hidden. And that light can shine out and bring change and transformation into the world 
uh, and his name can be made known. God is looking for people who will become carriers of his goodness. And he does it with us because he knows that there's no way we can say, I did that. (laughs) We'll say, God did that. It's through him. It's through his name. And it's through his ministry. So Paul writes, Paul writes this letter of 2 Corinthians as an apologist, saying, look, don't go off track. Here's the good news of the gospel. Here's what we stand for. Here's what we hold on to. And he tries to draw the church back. And he says, we don't preach ourselves. We don't come to big ourselves up. In fact, look, we come just to release the light and the life of Christ through our lives. We're just earthen vessels through whom his light might shine brightly. 